Good evening to everyone. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. Hope that you've had a uh, wonderful day. I hope uh, Carl went home, sat on the porch, and watched those birds drink coffee again. Maybe that was a good day for it. I've been thinking about that all day. I've been thinking. That would be pretty, pretty neat to see, I believe. Uh, but I hope that you've had a, a uh, wonderful day. Uh, I want to begin with Genesis chapter 13 uh, this evening, starting at verse 8. It says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent uh, had been at the beginning uh, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Um, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of, Abraham's, uh, of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Now, notice this situation that took place here. You know, Abram's got Lot there with him, his nephew there. Uh, they're traveling. They both got all these uh, uh, herds together, all these livestock. And just like any human beings, when you get individuals together, um, there becomes strife. So when you think about strife and you think about contention, I want you to think about what Abram said here. He said, there shouldn't be any of that between us because we're brethren. You know, it came up. It, it was a problem. It was a legitimate problem. But notice how, you know, Abraham, Abraham here, he could, have, he could have stood up, he could have looked at it and said, listen, I, I'm, I'm older than you, I'm, I'm wiser than you, I'm the ones in control, things aren't going well, here's what you need to do. You need to leave. You need to get out, you need to get away from my herdsmen, you need to, you know, I, I, I need to be able to grow, I need to be able to expand, it's not working here, I'm sorry about your luck, but you need to go. He could have done it like that, couldn't he? But what did he do? He, he seen that there was a problem, and he said, okay, here's the problem. There doesn't need to be any strife for us. You go out and you just pick the land. You go where you need to. It needs to happen because, you know, there's too much that's going on here. But Abraham said, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to make peace the very best that I can. So you choose where, where you want to go. I, I don't want to say that Abraham took the loss, but he realized... He could have done differently, but he didn't. And I think that's the uh, point. Because, see, we're all humans. We all have, have things that come up. We all have problems that arise. How are we going to handle it? If we're going to act like children of God, not just act like, but be children of God, how do we handle these things when they come up? I believe one of the major difficulties in congregations today can be strife and contention. And here's, here's why I say that, because we, we look at verses about uh, baptism, we look at verses about uh, repentance, we look at verses when it comes to belief, we look at verses when it comes to growth, we look at all these verses and we stand firm on these and we say, you've got to follow what the Bible says. 
But when it comes to things, when it comes to strife, when it comes to contention, when it comes to arguing, it seems like we take verses like that and we just throw them out the window. The same scripture that says things about strife and contention, about having unity, is the same scripture that talks about baptism. The same scripture that talks about repentance. Notice what the uh, scriptures say. In Proverbs 17 and 1, it says, Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Now think about what he says here. Would you rather be in, in quiet and just have just a, a morsel of food or would you ha rather have all the food that you want but there's so much strife around there it's going to give you indigestion you couldn't eat it anyway? I mean, which would you really want? You know, when you look at the book of Proverbs and look at all the wisdom that's there, uh, we need to look at it as from the perspective of I I'm wanting to serve God so how can I do it? And what is the reason that God has me to do the things that I do in the way in which I do them? Notice, I, I think strife hinders us, our, our effectiveness, and here's why I believe that. I, I think it hinders us working with those outside the church. I believe it hinders us working with one another in the body of Christ. Uh, I believe it uh, hinders us in being the kind of Christians that that we need to be. Just think about it. Think about the world is watching everything that we do. Are they not? Should they be watching what we do? Should they be interested in what we're doing? Well, absolutely. We, we need to so we can be able to reach the world so they're watching to see how we're different. I don't know about you, but I don't want them looking, looking at a, a, a particular congregation and saying, I, I, I just don't believe that's going to help me any. You know, it's like I told... Uh, uh, I always tell off on myself too much. I told somebody at work, we've got a lady that works uh, with us that comes in, and I believe her only job is to uh, fuss at me. You know, that, that, that's just what she does all day long. She just keeps me straight. She tells me my glasses are dirty, clean with glasses. She's always dusting me off. She always tells me to watch my attitude. She always tells me all these things. And I tell her, I said, if I wanted this kind of abuse, I'd go home. I could get that at home. No offense, but, you know... <laughs> You know, that's what I tell her. I say, it's like I've got a work wife. You know, <laughs> you know it's just, you know, we're, but, but here's, I, I, I make light of this, but here's the thing. The world can look at us and say, I can get this in the world. This is supposed to make my life different. This is supposed to put me on a different path. So if it's just like the world, you tell me how that's going to benefit me. You tell me how it's going to help me get to heaven. And isn't that what we're trying to do? Isn't that what we're, we're, we're trying to portray to the world? Is this is how we need to do things. Notice what the scripture says about strife. In Proverbs 17 and 14, it says, The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Stop contention before a quarrel starts. Stop it before it starts. Do you realize every one of us have the ability on our end to do that, don't we? We, we, we have the ability to stop something. You say, well, I can't control what somebody else does. There can't be a quarrel if there's nobody to quarrel with, can there? <laughs> there can't be strife if you're not there to have strife with. Well, you know, I don't have to stand there and, and, and take somebody yelling at me. I, I, I can take time and I can walk away. I can take time for things to cool off. I can take, you know, I can do what's in my power to do, can I? Well, of course we can. Look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 3. 
It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Notice that again. It's honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. It doesn't take much to start a quarrel. You know, I always think about Jesus when it comes to strife. Look at all the power that he had. And look what he did with that power. Look at the self-control that he had with that power. When they were scourging him, when they were spitting on him, when, when they were mocking him, when they were calling him names, there's a lot that he could have done. But he chose to do God's will. He chose to use that power in the way that God said to use that power. Did he not? So look at, look at how his example, when he was faced with these problems, how, how did he handle that? And Jesus is our perfect example. Because again, any fool can start a quarrel. And we need to make sure that we're not fools. In Proverbs 26 and 17, and this is one I like, He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. I've thought about this. I think we used this verse in one of our Wednesday night classes, I believe. It's been a little while now. But I, I've thought about that ever since. You know, you think about a dog coming, you know, you, you see two dogs out here fighting, and you think, I think I'll just get in the middle of that. So you just grab one of them by the ears. Then what are you going to do? Well, how, how does that help anything? Are you going to let it go? You've done, you done got in the middle of it now. If you hold on to it, it's not going to be very pleasant. If you let go, it's not going to be very pleasant. In other words, you're not going to be very helpful. So if I'm walking by and I see two dogs, dogs in a quarrel, me grabbing their ears isn't going to do anything but cause more trouble. But sometimes people just can't help but grab their ears. Just can't help but just go over there. I just, I just need to be a part of that. No, I need to get away from them dogs that's fighting is what I need to do. You know, I, I need to do the very best that I can. I can remember just going out in the neighborhood I lived in, two houses down, uh, the neighbor let out his two pit bulls, and then about the time I always let, let Wally out, there's been many a time them dogs run me back in the house. You know, I, I, you know, I thought about it. I could just stand out there. I'll just catch one of them and grab them by the ears. No, I ran. I got away from them as much as I could until David went out with us one, one afternoon, and they started running. So Wally decides he would take care of those dogs for us. He didn't take care of it when it was just me out there. I ran to the house. But he took care of it. So when dogs, dogs can get vicious, you know, there, there's no easy way to stop that. And I, I like how he does this. He said, who, he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel is like grabbing a dog by the ears. You know, he's saying, ain't got no business doing it. You ain't got any business being in the middle of that because all we can do is make it worse. And we need to do all that we can to make it better. Galatians 5 and 20. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. Notice these things here? You know, notice how it, it, it all singles around, a lot of these singles around strife. You know what he says about these works of the flesh? Those who practice these things or the such like will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Christians shouldn't be like that. Christians shouldn't act like that. Christians shouldn't be a part of that. But it's not easy. It, 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 takes, it takes practice. It takes habit. It takes maturity. It takes, and believe me, these are things that I've, I've not mastered yet. You know, sometimes I just can't help but grab them ears. You know, we just, we just want to do that, don't we? But we've got to realize the path that we're on, that doesn't lead us where we need to be. 
You know, I, I, I can't be on the path that God wants me to and in the middle of these things or doing these things. Because again, the world is watching. The world is seeing what's going on. The world is seeing what's happening. And if that's what they're seeing, all they're saying is, well, that's not any different than what I'm in the middle of now. So there's nothing to change my life. See, we've got to do something that tells the individuals this is what's going to be better. Is it better? Is it, does it bring hope? Does it bring peace? Or does it bring strife? As I said, I believe strife hinders our work. I believe that the church is not very productive and it's not reaching its full potential when there's strife. Let's notice what Roy read just a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of man. Let's stop right there just for a moment. Think about what salt does. Salt preserves, salt flavors, salt has a purpose. But if salt loses that purpose and becomes defiled in any way, becomes unpure in any way, then it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's useless. You might as well just throw it down and trample on the foot of men. But notice what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He's talking to us as his children. We, we are the salt of the earth. But if we lose our purpose... If we lose the reason that we're here, if we lose the reason for doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're not good for anything to be trampled on. There, there's, there's nothing left. We, we, our purpose is gone. Here's what we... It, it almost makes me wonder if sometimes if, if you could just think of, of, of Jesus being around all the congregations throughout the brotherhood. And he's just observing what's going on. Would we hear sermons like they heard from him before? You've heard it said this, but I say this. You've tucked the law and you've twisted it around to become what you want it to be, and I never intended for it to be like that. Would he say that? Would he look and say, you've tucked the scriptures, and that's not what I intended for it to be at all. You've turned it into something totally different. That's not what I meant by this. Let me give you an example of this kind of uh, into my brain. I joined the Y one time, and with that you get an instructor for a little while. And that instructor said, what do you want to achieve? And I just went, what do you think? <laughs> you know, I want rid of this. Well, that's what I want to achieve. And he said, well, here's what you do. You do all this. And he said, now for that, that happens in the kitchen. I said, okay. So I went back after a little while, and I said, it's not working. He said, why? I said, I've done all them exercises you said right there in the kitchen floor and it's done no good. He said, that's not what I meant. Which I knew that's not what he meant. But see, I, here's the thing. When you see all this strife, when you see all this contention, and you see uh, people running from one place to another in congregations, you see congregations splitting and splintering, you see all that, then you hear... Uh, now that's one good thing about, or bad thing, I don't know, working at the funeral home. You hear a lot of things. You hear a lot of discussions that people have. And I don't know that I ever hear anybody say, you know what's going on in that congregation? Boy, that's a wonderful thing they're doing over there, boy. It's, all I hear is, you know the problems they got going on over there? You know, what's you, know you, you hear all this all the time. And then you'll hear people say, well, we're, we're, really, we're really growing over here where we're at. Yeah, because you got 50 from another place. Is that growing? I think Jesus is saying, that's not what I meant. You know, I could go to the doctor and say, here's what I'm doing. 
you know, I'm growing. He said, yeah, but you're growing because you're eating McDonald's every day. All you're eating is junk. You're not growing, you're swelling. And it's the same thing. That's exactly what happens. We need to be careful and realize growth means we go out into the world, we reach the individuals that's lost, and we bring them to Christ. That's growth. That, that's how we're supposed to grow. That's how we're supposed to reach. But when that world says, I don't think I want any part of that. I, I, I don't th think I want what's going on there because it's no different than what I'm at. Then you don't have growth, do we? Notice, let's go a little bit farther in this verse. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. You know what he's saying here? You can't hide from the world. The world's going to see what you're doing, good or bad. We're set on a hill. We're city set on a hill. And we look at that and say, yeah, we're, we're there on that hill. We're that beacon of hope. We're that beacon of light that we can draw people to us. Or we can be that city set on the hill that people say, oh, you know what's going on there? You know what's happening there? Boy, don't go up there. That's a mess going on over there. We can't be hid either way. So if we can't be hid any way, we need to be doing what he says here. Let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So don't lose our purpose. Realize we, we can't hide. And realize since we can't hide, this is the light that we should let shine. Not shine it in their face, but let shine. There's a difference. Do you want somebody to take a flashlight on a path and show you the way? you want somebody to take that flashlight and shine it in your eyes and say, here, let me show you the way? I won't be able to see. I'm blinded. It's more aggravating and annoying, isn't it? And I think that's what takes place sometimes, unfortunately. You have, I think Matthew 5 tells us we've got to be careful of how we are perceived to those on the outside. And you hear people say, well, it doesn't matter what people think. It does matter what people think. It does matter the, the example that we set. It does matter the impression that we set. And we've got to be careful what individuals hear, what individuals see. Notice what David said in Psalms 39, verse 1. He said, I said I will guard my ways uh, unless I sin with my tongue. I will refrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. We discussed this probably two or three Wednesday nights ago when we were studying uh, Psalms 39. And, and it really stuck with me because David was talking. And what David did, he said, this burns up inside of me, but I'm not going to say anything. And then when he does say anything, he says it to God. He, he, he airs it out to God. He doesn't air it out to, to the world because he says, I don't want people to take it the wrong way. I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone. I don't want someone to take the words that I say or the deeds that I do, whatever it is, to draw them or push them away. I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to say anything. And David is saying, there's a lot that I could say. There, there's a lot that I want to say. There's, there's a lot that he says it burns up inside of him. And say, so what's he do? He says it to God. Go back and read Psalms 39. He doesn't say it to the world. He doesn't say it to the wicked. Whether one, he says something in sin because he says the wrong thing, or two, whether he says something and they misunderstand him and take it the wrong way. Either way, it's lost the influence for God, hasn't it? He says, I'm going to be careful not to do that. 
He said, I put a muff. I, I, I think it's interesting how he says, he says, here, uh, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. In other words, if it takes a muzzle for me to hush up, then that's what I'm going to do. And sometimes it takes a muzzle. It takes us just, I'm going to have to muzzle because I can't hold back. And it's a shame when individuals get like that. You know, when, as I said, when the, it's, and I'm sure you heard the joke of the guy that got deserted, you know, stranded on a deserted island, and after years they come and find him, and they see three, three structures that he built. They said, well, what's this? He said, well, I lived in that one, and that's where I went to worship. And he said, well, what's this one over here? And he said, well, I got mad and left that one, and I went to this one. I think that's how we do, isn't it? We can't even get along with ourselves sometimes. But I think that's what takes place. You know, I, I think we get because we think we have to have it our way. Now again, let's go back here just for a minute so we don't misunderstand. Like Abraham and Lot. There was strife. I don't believe strife was the issue necessarily. It's what, how they handled the strife. We're all going to have strife. We're all going to have contention. It's one half, even if I'm right. I, there's thing, it's like someone says in the marriage, you want to be right or you want to be happy because you can't have both. There, there's some things that you, you have to realize, okay, I may be right here, but how I handle something can be a sin, can it not? You know, if I take it too far, if I say things that I shouldn't, if I do things that I shouldn't. So I've got to be careful as a Christian when I'm faced with strife. Abraham could have handled this in a lot of different ways. But he says, I'm going to let you choose. What's best is to let you choose. And if I have to take a loss, I'll take a loss. But we see what happened because Lot, uh, how he made his choice. So the problem is not strife. And it's just like the Christian life. The problem is not necessarily when I sin. It's what I do when I sin. I, I, if I stumble and fall, and I go, am I just going to lay there in the mire? I'm going to try to drag others down in the mud with me. If I'm getting dirty, you're, going, you're, you know, you're getting dirty with me. Or is it I'm going to get up and I'm going to make it right and I'm going to move on the very best that I can. It's all in how we handle these things. Notice what Paul says when it comes to division. In 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 10. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now just about any time you hear this from any preacher, any time I've ever preached division from this, you know what we talk about? Denominationalism. You know, we're not divided. Paul says we're not divided. You know what Paul was addressing? He was addressing a congregation that was divided. He was addressing a congregation that says, I'm going to go with this person, or I'm going with this person, or I'm going to get this. They're going to start the Paulinians or the uh, Cephanites or whoever. You know, they're, they're just all divided within the congregation. Paul said, whoa, wait a minute. Notice what he says. There shouldn't be any contentions among you. Why? He said, Christ didn't divide it. Paul said, I wasn't crucified for you. I, I didn't ask you to follow me. I, don't crucify, you know, I, it's Christ. Paul even said one time, imitate me, not because I'm me. I'm some great, great Paul, but because I imitate Christ. He said, that's why you imitate me. And if you imitate me, you're imitating Christ, and we all should be acting the same way anyway. 
But Paul said, don't follow me. That, that wasn't the whole purpose of it. I, didn't, I, I, I wasn't crucified. I didn't die for you. You know, I, I tell someone that, you know, I was telling them jokingly sometimes. Matter of fact, the lady that's always fussing at me at work, she'll say something about what's going on down at your church. I said, I don't have a church. I didn't die for nobody. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But that's the problem. It becomes my church sometimes to people. And it's my way and the way I think it should be done and don't want it any different. And that's what causes contention. That's what Paul was dealing with here. You see, all the problems that Corinth had, he begins with this. Don't be divided. Don't have contention. Don't have strife. Don't start you know, splitting over here with each individual. Come together. You, you've got one common cause. You should be in one frame of mind. You should be all thinking the same thing. That I want to go to heaven. And he instructs them on how to do that. Notice Jesus in John chapter 17. You know, everybody says, well, I, I won't say the Lord's Prayer. And they go to um, uh, Matthew 6. Was, wasn't his prayer. It was a model prayer. His prayer's here. And notice this lengthy prayer that we have of Jesus. You know what he covered? Unity and getting along. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as you are one. I, uh, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and I love them as you have loved me. Notice what he said. The world needs to know that God sent Jesus. How do they do that? When we're one. He says I, they need to be one, as Father, as you and I are one, so the world may know that you sent me. How are they going to know that Jesus was sent? How are they going to know what He come to do? How are they going to know the, the love of the Father that sent Him there if we don't get the opportunity to show them and tell them because we're the city set on the hill, we're the salt that lost its purpose, lost its flavor, we're the ones that they look at and say, I don't want any part of that. How are they going to know? If we don't tell them, if, if a Christian does and when I say how are they going to know with us, I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. I'm talking about the church as a whole, universally. How's the world going to know? If we don't tell them, how are they going to know? We, we, we are commissioned to, to go out into the world. We're commissioned to be that light. We're commissioned to be that salt. We're commissioned to be show individuals that way. We're that light. So they can glorify our Father. Not us. But sometimes they can't see the Father. Can't see the light because there's too much smoke, too much fog, too much contention. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Are you as shocked as I am how much the Bible speaks about this? You know why? Because God loves us that He doesn't leave it to chance. God loves us enough that He says, I, I know the carnal mind wants to do this. Paul struggled with it. Paul had so much writings on it. He says, my carnal part wants to do this, and even my carnal part does. 
But, but the Spirit is this. He said, I don't want to do these things. And he said, it's a constant battle between the Spirit and the flesh. It's a constant battle. And because it's that constant battle between the Spirit and the flesh, it becomes a battle with flesh and flesh. Because we can't handle the spiritual carnal battle, but we think we can handle the flesh-to-flesh battle. So we try to pick our battles. And we make it worse when we do. But what causes this? My opinion is this. Pride and ego. I think that's at the top of the list when it comes to strife and contention. I, I think it all boils down to that. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, it says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinions. If I, if, if I try to think back of times I was, had the dog by the ears, or that I was one of the dogs in the fight, it all comes back to pride or ego. I was right, and I'm going to prove to you I'm right, and I'm going to get every single person that I possibly can on my side to prove that I'm right. Or, this is my opinion, and if you don't like my opinion, then we're going to argue about it till you accept my opinion. And I think that's what it comes to on both sides. At some form, in some way, if, if we just deduce it all the way down, as they say, to the lowest common denominator, it comes down to pride. And we know what comes after pride is the fall, isn't it? Each and every time. He says, what do you do? You bite and devour one another. He says, a house divided against itself can't do what? Can't stand. There's no way for it to stand. It's divided in the house. You know, when, and then when the storm comes, remember, if we're not built on that foundation, and that storm comes, we're going to splat. Right in the sand. Because why? We're not built on the foundation. When the storms of life come, we've got so much storm inside, it doesn't really matter what's coming outside. We're coming down anyway. You say, Ronald, this sounds awful harsh. This sounds awful. You know, it, and it does. It's awful. But I think sometimes we just need to be reminded, all of us, myself especially included, that there's no, there's no good end to strive. There's no good end to striving with someone and there's no good end to getting in the middle of anything that's striving. It never, ever ends well and it never brings glory to God. I think self-serving attitude uh, is a reason. In 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or rivaling for rivaling, but on the contrary, blessings, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, what's he got to do? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips uh, from speaking. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Notice, seek peace and pursue it. But that's no fun, is it? There ain't no gossip in peace. There ain't, there ain't no poking and, and, and prodding at peace. There, there's, no, you know, there's no excitement when it comes to peace. But I'm supposed to pursue that, aren't we? Why? Because we got to have that perfect peace. We serve the one that brings perfect peace. You know, we, you know, we could go to scriptures and, and talk about where Jesus says, I come to bring the sword, I come to divide families, I come to do. 
I think we take that way out of context. Yeah, I've got to stand for the truth no matter who it is against. We always have to stand for the truth, but there's a way in which we stand for it, isn't it? I stand by the truth by doing truth. You know, that's going to bring division. But there's a way in which to do that. And many times we get our egos, we get our pride, we get our own agendas. Because let's just face it, it's easy to get offended. You know, we've had lessons here on council culture, on uh, being offended. In this world, you can't do anything without offending somebody. But when we get our feelings hurt, we get our egos bruised, we get our, our, our opinion shot down, or we get something, you know, this, this happens, it, it just triggers something in individuals to where, you know, I can't let them get away with that. Oh, my ego's bruised, so I've got to do something. You think our Lord was bruised? Think His egos were bruised? If He's the Son of God, let Him save Himself. You don't think that was a shot at his ego? You don't think that was a shot at who he was? Let, let him save himself if he can. Well, of course he can. There's a lot. He could have just wiped them out with anything. Remember what he told him? I, you know, I, Peter, put that sword away. That, that's, not, that's not why I'm here. That's not how I'm going to... You don't think I can call legions down to take care of this? You don't think I can handle this? But yet you're out here with a sword waving around like a madman? Now, did Peter have good intentions? I think he did. But I think Peter handled it like Peter handled everything else. By emotions, not by intelligence. Not by thinking about it. And I tell you, I don't know how much... I make a lot of decisions that way, do you? <laughs> I make a lot of decisions and actions based on emotions, not on intelligence. You know, I, my emotions just took over my brain saying, Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me get caught up here. Whoa, whoa, stop. I'm done way ahead. <laughs> And by the time my brain catches up, then what happens? Regret sets in. Because you see the, the, the destruction, the aftermath behind you. You say, wish I had never took that path. Why didn't I listen to this? Why didn't I be sober, be vigilant? Because the adversary of the devil is seeking whom he may devour. You know how he devours? He uses us. <laughs> Let's us do the devouring for him. He don't have to do anything. Because we're not sober and vigilant. We're not clear thinking. It's hard to be clear thinking in emotion. Emotion's hard. It's easy to stand up here and say we shouldn't do this. It's hard when you go out there. It's hard. But it's necessary. How do we prevent it? Well, I think we prevent it by, one, doing our best to avoid it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, or at verse 18, it says, If it, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably, with all men. Now we say, well, I can't control the other person. I can't. But if everyone, I'm talking, I'm not talking the world, I'm talking that's following God. If everyone would do this, where would there be room for strife? Where would there be room for contention? If I did what was possible for me to do is to have peace, what would I do? I think we'd find it a better place. And our work would be more effective. Proverbs 26 and verse 17, He who passes by again and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. I had to throw that in one more time. Because I just can't get that picture out of my mind. So do the best to avoid it. What? You see them fighting over here? I'm going to be over here. 
because there's no good going to come from that. Now, if you want to reason, there's a difference in reasoning and arguing. We can reason together. And we can contend earnestly for the faith, not contend earnestly for our opinions, not contend earnestly for our egos, not contend earnestly for our pride, not contend earnestly for our own selfish ambition. There's a difference. I think we need to realize that difference. What else can we do? Be slow to anger. Proverbs 15 and 18, A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he is slow to anger, allies contention. In other words, puts it to rest. You ever tried to argue with a calm individual? Is it possible to do that? You ever got mad at somebody because they wouldn't argue with you? You can't have a fight. You can't have an argue if they won't argue back. It says here a, what's it say? Uh, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but if we're slow to anger, we can put it to rest. There's always a way to diffuse it. In James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to be slow to wrath, slow to speak, swift to hear. You know, I, I've been told a lot, the only time that I quit talking, I'm not listening, I'm just waiting for the other person to hush so I can get my shot in. And I'd say that's probably pretty accurate, if I have to be honest. But we need to listen. And if we listen, we can realize it may not be quite the situation that I think it is. It may not be as bad or as harsh as I think it is, and there's maybe a way to work it out if I would just calm down and listen. Another way, long-suffering. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, be holy uh, and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Kindness, mercy, humility, meekness. Does that sound like qualities to have if you're in the middle of strife and contention? I don't believe so. Be loving. John chapter 13. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. There again. There's Jesus saying this is how they're going to know. They can't know unless you be this way. They can't know unless you be in unity. They can't know unless you be in harmony. They can't know unless you have love for one another. They can't know who I am. And don't we want them to know? Don't they have to know? How else are they going to be saved? Jesus said, you can't come unto the Father except through me. But if they don't know who he is, they can't come to him. And they can't know who he is Unless we show them. But as Colossians says, you know, we, 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 we die to Him. We put on Him. It's no longer me that they see. It's Christ. But if I'm always in the forefront, they can't see Christ. I've got to take a step back. I've got to clothe myself in Him. When they see me, they have to see Christ. Don't they? I can't save anyone. As Paul said, I, I wasn't crucified for anyone. I didn't die for anyone. I don't want you to see me, I want you to see Christ. And how they do that is by love. And study. You might not think this is one. I have to keep telling myself this. If I want to know how to live for God the right way, how to do the right things, how not to do the wrong things, study. 
2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How many times do we use this and talk about you've got to be able to divide the Old Testament with the New Testament? You've got to rightly divide the truth. I read as it telling me, I, if I want to be diligent, if I want to be approved for God, if I want to make sure I don't have to be ashamed when I'm walking around, you know what I need to do? I need to rightly divide the word of truth. And if I do that, I won't have to be ashamed. If I'm over here striving and, 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 and in the middle of contention and I'm quarreling and I'm doing this, there's shame involved in that, isn't there? But if I'm studying, if I'm learning all that He wants me to know, if, if I'm learning what He's revealing to me through His Word and I'm trying to live for that, then I won't have to be ashamed because I'm doing His will, not mine. And Ephesians, finally, Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 1, notice what Paul says. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you're called. How do I walk worthy of the calling? I, you know, you say, well, we're not worthy. Here's how you are worthy. God makes you worthy. God makes me worthy. And here's how we do that. How do we walk worthy of the call? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of peace and the uh, unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who above all, through all, and in you all. Friends, it's not peaceful. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. It's not... You know, we shouldn't ever, ever walk, no matter what building we walk in, whether it's here, whether it's any other congregation that you find around in the brotherhood. We shouldn't ever feel like we've been gut punched because we're there. Should we? And, and here's what I mean by that. There, you, sometimes you can just cut tension with the air when you go to places or you know there's uh, uh, contention, you know things are going... And that's, that's not... You can't worship God like that. You can't worship God feeling like that and, and being a part of that. And, and what's, what's so bad is it not only affects... The individuals that's quarreling, it affects those that are around them. It not only affects the congregation that's quarreling, but it affects other ones that are around them. It, it's, it's not like we're the island to ourselves with that one man there. We're all brethren. And as Abraham said, shouldn't be any strife between us if we're brethren. And I just wanted to give us some food for thought for that because Christian life is hard. There's things that come up. There's things that... We hear, there's things that we see, there's things that we uh, unfortunately get involved in. There's, there's a lot that goes on around us. But don't forget who we are. Don't forget what our purpose is. Don't forget why we're here. Don't forget where we're going. Don't forget how, how we get there. How do we get there? We get there by having faith. Because we can't please God without faith. We've got to diligently seek after Him. We've got to seek Him, seek His will. Seek to do what He wants us to do. And realize once we find that and realize what He wants us to do, be willing to change. Be willing to repent. Be willing to confess that Jesus is the Son of God and He is going to be Lord of my life. I'm not Lord of my life anymore. It's going to be Him. Then to be baptized for the remission of those sins, to wash away those sins and walk in newness of life. 
Just as Paul told the Corinthians, he said, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. You were once this, now you're this. That, that's why when we come up out of that water and we're, we, we start that newness of life, why would we go, want to go back in and start acting like the world? It's, we're different now. It's no longer our will, but it's His will. Walking in the light is His in the light.